Greetings from the sun-blasted wastes of British Columbia, and welcome to Animation Celery! Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons! I'm Matsy, and I'm a rude dog. Good stuff. I'm Micah. Uh, that was great. Great cartoon <laughs> quote. It was totally pog, bro. <laughs> so here on Animation Celery, we assign each other cartoons to watch. Then we get together and we review and discuss them. Today, our theme is, why does this exist? The cartoon could be inept. It could have a baffling concept. Or it could just have really no audience to appeal to. Just something that makes you ask, why does this exist? And it did, I will tell you. Uh, we are watching Alf Tales, The Ballad of John Henry, and the first two-part episode of Rude Dog and the Dweebs. And before that wonderful business... Let's talk about what we did during the record-shattering heat here in the greater Vancouver area. How did you cope, Micah? <laughs> well, with cartoons, you know, what else? Yeah. Um, it certainly wasn't being productive. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I watched more Star. Uh-huh. I'm firmly into season three of Star. Okay. Yeah, to where it uh, becomes continuous without uh, so many kind of just episodes of the week. Well, I should note that the first few episodes of season three are a movie. Like oh. these were aired, these were aired as one piece as like the season, like star, the movie, uh, the, as okay. the series, the, the season premiere for season three. Hmm. You will see, you will know, I, I don't know which episode you're on, but you will know when that part ends and then it gets back to its more standard uh, formula. Let's see, where did I leave off? Um, uh, Moon and Star are at Buff Frog's uh, shack right now. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Actually, I guess Star infiltrated the castle and wouldn't you know it, there was a mime. <laughs> Cartoon writer, writers, man, they love mimes. Um, <sighs> they don't have to hire a voice actor. Yeah, but the line, the mime does have one line though. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's it's good. It's fun. I think I have. I guess these might be spoilers. They're like predictions. Okay. And one, I feel like maybe they would have announced at this point if it was the case. Uh, but maybe, maybe it's still true. My theory was, has been, that, uh, you remember how Eclipsa married a monster? Yes. My theory was that, uh, Toffee is Moon's cousin once removed. Okay. And thus, uh, except for his monsterism, by lineage, he would have a deeper claim to the throne. That, that was what I thought would be the case. Okay. But in flashback, they don't allude to it at all, so maybe not. I will not Spo tell yeah, you one way or the other. Yeah, but I, I, wanna, I put it on a record, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, no, that's, that's perfectly fine. There's your, your star predictions. <laughs> yeah. I can dig it. Yeah. Um, anyway, pretty enjoyable at this point. Uh, uh, I kind of wish we got to see more of Hecapoo. 
Oh, don't worry. She haven't seen the last of her. Okay. Um, she's yeah. actually very important. Has um, um, uh, has Marco got his shears yet? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, he, he, he used some earlier, but I think they're just the same ones from Ponyhead, maybe. Oh mm-hmm. no! Wait, wait. Uh, okay, so Hecapoo's th- those were her shears originally. So he. Did he get his new ones from her? I can't remember. She, her deal is she makes shears for people. Okay, so maybe I have seen it. it, I, would, it it's if, an episode where there's a world where time flows differently. Yeah, okay, I have seen that. Okay, there you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, Hecapoo, the whole Magic Council um, yeah. are going to be recurring characters through to the end of the series. So don't worry, there'll be more Hecapoo. Hmm. It's kind of funny to me that Marco can have this uh, life-changing experience. In fact, hmm. a life in its own right. Yeah. And then in the next bit, be worried about like a school test or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd think that like the the traumas that he's been through, like he can't go back. They do like there will be more with that. Too. Like I again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but like if you're thinking what kind of impact is this having on Marco's life? Hmm. Just wait. Hmm. Anyway, pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the other thing today, I was, I was thinking quite a bit of uh, a series called March Comes In Like a Lion. Okay. It's, it's on Netflix right now. Has been for a while. And uh, it's an anime about... Um, a prodigy at shogi that's kind of like chess oh yeah 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 like kind of a stratego sort of thing with tiles yeah exactly that yeah yeah um it's a neat series it's a bit of an odd series too mm-hmm. like um well first of all you don't really need to know shogi for it yeah because uh they educate you a little bit but also everything's in context so that you know like oh this is an aggressive move or you know or, or whatever right yeah yeah and it's more about the characters mhm um and if you just like looked at it at a glance and you just felt like you know i'm not i'm not in, into this at all you'd probably feel like oh this this kid's so emo and those girls are so over the top saccharine cute and so on <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, the thing that really stays with me is stuff like the, the main character, Rei uh, Kiriyama. He's mm-hmm. um, one of the most emotionally complex characters. All right. Um, so, like, the, the premise of the series is that uh, he's orphaned, uh, but his father's rival and friend adopts him. Uh, hmm. And, and, you know, his, his father and, and, and the family friend were rivals in Shogi, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ray's uh, natural aptitude at Shogi make him the favorite over the, his adoptive father's biological kids. Okay. So he sees the damage he's doing. And because he's, he's good enough, he goes pro and moves out to live on his own. Um, <laughs> he's almost like a, oh, I've forgotten the character's name. The, um, the jerk adopted brother in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, like Dio. He's like, he's like a, yeah, Dio. He's like a, a moral version of him. Yeah. Oh, I'm better than everyone. I better go away. 
I don't want to yeah. upstage Jojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's he's lived a life where like he 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 was distant in school, so he didn't have any friends there, and he mm-hmm. sort of has no family because he's he's keeping himself from them. Yeah. So he, he's awkward, and yet like it's about how the the people in his life are kind of become his his friends and family. Yeah. Um, and even though he's awkward, he's got a deep empathy, you know, for the problems of others and for his, his, his opponents. Um, mm. And it, it, not only does it go into that kind of stuff and what that makes, makes him a really good character, but it has other really deep things in there. Like uh, the Shogi players in the show um, have the incredible stresses you know, of, of playing it competitively, of, of knowing that, you know, if you have a bad run, you'll be demoted. Mm, and yeah. so not only is this your dream, but it's your livelihood. Hmm. So it makes them question and look at it like, do I even enjoy this? Or is this <laughs> nothing but turmoil for me playing this game, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, it's just, it just it sticks with me, right? Just how mm, mm. good the show is. It's But it's it's weird in like... I think this is sort of a passion project. So I think it's kind of, it's, I think it's decently popular, but it's one of those shows that I think will have more episodes made maybe four or five years from now. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. After this, after whatever studio is busy, has, has finished making money, right? <laughs> They'll come <laughs> back to the show. Uh, it doesn't have like, it doesn't answer all of your questions or have your big payoff. It does have like a little, a storyline they wrap up, but, uh, you know, of all things, like it goes unexpected places. It goes into, uh, a story about bullying becomes it's like big climax. But mm. like I said, it's just, just really neat. Like I like, even though he's so mature, I don't know. I don't know if the author intends it for, for this, but he's also, you know, a teenage boy. Right. So yeah, I think his hormones play a big part. Of it. He's not like a hornball or anything. Right. But right. I think things like, uh, his his adoptive sister plays into it, where she'll show up occasionally as a bit of an antagonist, right. and she's kind of like living a, a like as a new adult is living a dis- self destructive life, where uh, she's sleeping with one of his rivals, mm-hmm. who's like an, an adult married man, <laughs> um, and she plays mind games with him because she kind of hates Ray. Right, she play mind, plays mind games to get him off his game for his upcoming matches. Yeah, but at the same time, I think she admires and actually has attraction for him. You know, right? And kind of would like him to save her. <laughs> and, yeah. And and by the flip side, she's terrible to him, but you know she's she's a pretty girl, right? <laughs> so and of course he's got a familial familial connection to her. So I, I think there's like things like that going on there that. Just, mm. just make it a thing that even though I watched it years ago, I, I still think about it quite a bit. When a when a show has, especially a cartoon, which you know you don't expect to be all that serious, but when you can develop an emotional connection to what's going on, mm. um, that can really that's what really makes a cartoon stick. Like you're talking about, like you know, I'm like I'm going to talk about in a second mm-hmm. um, a thing that I've been. Maybe I'll just go into it right now. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, I got around to watching the 
two uh, episodes of Adventure Time Distant Lands that I hadn't seen yet. Okay. So just a little bit of background. Adventure Time ended, I think, in 2018. But now they have these four hour-long, you know, commercials, so it's really like 45 minutes. Um, these four specials called Distant Lands. They've aired three of them. The fourth one is still coming. Um, I watched the first one around when it came out, and I I had held off on the second one, just never was in the right state of mind for it. And then the third one came out just recently, and I finally, I started to see people's, like, you know, fan theories and stuff in my recommendations on YouTube, and I started to think, okay, I, I should probably watch these before it accidentally gets spoiled. Okay. So I went and watched them. Um, the first one, which I had already seen, is called BMO, mm. and it is just about BMO, the little robot computer that Finn and Jake have. Right. This is him uh, by himself on some other planet. Uh, he, he starts out in a spaceship and then lands on this planet. And so it, it's just this little adventure on a totally different planet with totally different characters, except for one. Uh, there is one character in there who fans of Adventure Time will know. Okay. But um, mostly it's disconnected from the main Adventure Time storyline. And in fact, in the end, we discover that it's a, a prequel. It's before the adventures of, events of the adventure. Oh, my God. It's That's before difficult. the events of Adventure Time. The advent of Adventure Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, the second one is called Obsidian. And in my opinion, it's the best one. Okay. At least of the three that have aired. It takes place some decades after the end of Adventure Time. And it focuses on Marceline and Princess Bubblegum. Mm -hmm. Now, at the onset in the early episodes of Adventure Time, Marceline is a... She's a half-human, half-demon, half-vampire. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. And she... In the early episodes, we kind of see that her and Princess Bubblegum don't get along. And it's never really explained why. But the events of the show, as it goes on for ten seasons, force them... They're, they're both friends with Finn, and so that mutual friendship kind of forces them to be together again. Mm -hmm. And the course of the show is them kind of growing closer and alluding to past events between them and a past relationship between them, culminating in the satisfying conclusion that you hope for in the very last episode. Mm -hmm. This takes place, like I said, a few decades, it seems, after the end of Adventure Time. And it involves a glass kingdom that was once beset by a monster called Mo Molto Larvo. And <laughs> yeah. Molto Larvo was dro uh, driven back and trapped in part by the power of St. Marceline's base. Okay. And now the, so the glass people have deified St. Marceline um, and of, and every year they reenact the, the hymn in the hopes that it will keep Molto Larvo imprisoned for another year. She's a born vampire, yeah? 
Like she no. didn't get turned into. Was she get get turned into a vampire? She was born half human, half demon. Okay. There is a a mini series. I think it's five or six episodes called Stakes that explains Marceline's whole vampire backstory. Mm. Basically, as as a demon, she inherited from her father the ability to suck the souls out of things. Mm-hmm. And she's a vampire hunter. Okay. So, as she killed vampires, she sucked their souls and inherited their powers. And I, I won't go into it, you know, if, if you want to know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spoil the thing for you in case you watch it. But, yeah. Yeah, so she is, by birth, she's a half-human, half-demon who then was turned into a vampire. That's so funny, because her father looks very, like, much like a vampire. <laughs> Hudson Abadir. Yeah. As I understand it, the voice actor who plays Hudson, Hudson, is um, the voice actor who plays Marceline's actual father. Who is at her voice actor's father, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, like her Marceline's voice actress... Right. And Hudson Abadir's voice actor, our father and daughter. I seem to recall hearing that too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so in in this case, uh, Molto Larvo has started to fight out. A, a, there's a boy named Glass Boy <laughs> who has caused some trouble and caused Molto Larvo to rouse from his slumber. And so now... He wants to go and find St. Marceline, even though everybody is sure that she's dead because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the setup. But what actually what this episode is actually about is explaining the backstory between Princess Bubblegum and Marceline, the mm. original falling out that they had that was alluded to in Adventure Time, but never explained. So this is us finally getting to see that story. Okay. And also, as a side thing, it also shows us... We we are given hints of Marceline's mother a couple of times in Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. And this kind of finalizes her role. So it kind of... It basically tells you pretty much everything that you want to know about Marceline and Princess Bubblegum. It's the origin, how they met, how they fell out... The origin of the t-shirt. And this is decades later, so this is like what's happened to them since then. Hmm. And it's real good. I think that it's a it's a it like I said, it's the best one of the three, I feel. I enjoyed it quite a bit. How much adventure time is there? Uh there are ten seasons. Wow. Now keep in mind. Well, I'm going to take, there are two things to keep in mind. Well, the first season's probably like nothing. The first season is very short. Episodes are only like 10 minutes long. Uh But there's one season, I think it's season five, maybe, Uh that has like 50 episodes. Hmm. So there's, I mean, I guess I could go and look, but there, there are a lot of, there's like 10 years of adventure time, but it's actually a show I like. Uh, So it's funny that, you know. I've I've not seen it all or even close to it all. One of these days you should put in the effort because it yeah. really is worth it. Mm. The third uh, show is called Together Again. Uh-huh. And this involves Finn and Jake. And it's not a spoiler for me to say that they're both dead. Because, okay. it, because it's established right at the beginning. Hmm. 
Um, and as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, this is a fun, you know, it's good. It's a fun little, it's one of the high stakes adventures that Finn and Jake can be on. Mm-hmm. But not, you know, a world ending apocalypse. Well, it kind of is, sort of. Um, but it's like, it just feels like an important episode of Adventure Time. Not like the be-all, end-all, you know? Okay. Not, it's not a climax. It's just an important episode. But it is an important episode because it turns out, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I will say the the finale of Adventure Time was sort of the end of that batch of adventures. Yeah. But it wasn't the end of the characters. Like they, they it, it is said in that episode, like they kept on living. Like it was mm. just, this was a big climax. It was, it was the end of the ice Kings story arc. Okay. But <laughs> as far as Finn and Jake and princess Bubblegum, everybody just kept on going. Finn and Jake were still adventuring. You know, everything was still the way it was more or less. This, together again, is the definitive end of the Finn and Jake story. Mm. And you might gather that from the fact that they're both dead. Okay. Um, it involves, the, the basic plot involves uh, Finn has just died. And he's excited to be dead because it means he gets to be reunited with Jake, who apparently died sometime before. But there are complications in the dead worlds. Ah. So these were both, these are all three very good. Adventure Time is just a fantastic show. And this is what I'm talking about with the emotional attachment. You know, like right. the idea that the, the Obsidian episode with Marceline and Princess Bubblegum, that we've seen them, we've seen Marceline's entire life, like in various flashbacks and miniseries and stuff. We know everything about Marceline, her, her relationship with Simon slash the Ice King. Um, allusions to a relationship with Princess Bubblegum, how she became a vampire, her father, her role in the demon world, all that stuff. Princess Bubblegum, we see flashbacks to her, her rise to power, her um, interest in science, her creation of the Candy Kingdom. And so now to see this, like, there was one thing missing, which was where those two stories intersected originally. And so to get that is exciting because you have an attachment to the characters already. Well, also to tell that sounds perilous because everyone has an idea in their own mind. That, so would it be as good as that, you know, as people, what people have conjured themselves? You know, you're right. But at the same time, like, I think it's, you have to think they were in I'll just come out and say it they were in a romantic relationship right and it broke off but the fact that over time they got back together tells you that there was still you know the way that they ended Hmm. couldn't have been you know it it couldn't have been that they both actually didn't want to be together it was kind of something forced it upon them and when you see it in Obsidian, mm-hmm. you kind of see like, okay, that's, I can kind of see how this was a mistake that they both made. They were mm-hmm. both just in a bad place emotionally. And, but yeah, it's, I, I'm really happy with um, these little continuations of the Adventure Time story. Um, there's one more coming, which I believe is called Wizard City. 
and I am led to believe that this has to do with a character named Abraka Daniel. <laughs> okay. Um, Don't think I've seen him. He's he's a very minor character. He's a wizard who's like a barely capable wizard. His wand is a stick, and he can just barely make flowers. Okay. And that's kind of the extent of his magical power. <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny. It's, it's funny. I'm doing like research as you're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm seeing all these cosplays of, of Marceline and Ice King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really bringing out my cruelest strong bad. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, the people, Halloween costumes? Yeah, if people don't, haven't seen it, uh, Strong Bad from Homestar Runner will make fun of people that dress as characters from Homestar Runner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of these ice kings. <laughs> A lot of them have had different answers on how to make his nose. <laughs> I, that's what I was thinking. Like, the nose yeah. is so... <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> what's going on with his nose? I think this is actually a Beetlejuice cosplay. <laughs> uh, there's a. Uh, it, I would love to see. You know what I'd love to see is a cosplay of um, him as the Nice King. Oh yeah. Have you seen that episode? I do not remember. He. Um, he just, you know, the Ice King's kind of insane. And so there's this one episode where he just suddenly decided that he needed a shave. And so he shaved off his beard and all his hair. Hmm. And so he's just this unrecognizable gl- blue guy with a big long nose. Right. And so girls are coming up to him. He's like, hey, are you, who are you? And he's, are, are you a, or he's like, are you a king? He's like, I'm a nice king. Oh, you're a nice king. No, I'm a nice king. And so all these girls suddenly fall in love with the nice king. <laughs> My favorite part of that episode is the dumbest thing. It's it's one of those little incidental things that sometimes animation gets so right. Mm-hmm. Where Lumpy Space, Lumpy Space Princess sees the so-called nice king. Mm. And immediately decides that she needs to phone her friend and tell her about it. Yeah. And so she pulls out her cell phone, opens it up, dials the number, and... <laughs> while she's waiting she immediately takes like a potato chip and starts crunching on it so that she's already like crunching on a potato chip when her friend answers the phone yeah just it's just so stu- like it, just such an a dumb little thing to be like i'm gonna talk on the phone and just immediately start shoveling food in your mouth it's one of those things we talked in a prior episode that you just couldn't write in a script uh 20 years yeah, ago yeah 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 yes <laughs> Oh, man. Well, if we're talking about writing scripts 20 years ago, Uh, that doesn't get us to rude dubbing the dweebs. But if we went 30 years ago, then we'd be around (laughs) there. You know, hmm? yeah, that's that's a great segue. You know, that segue totally Mm -hmm. pog. Boy, you better stop. You need to. (laughs) I edited out the joke. I'll put it back in. You know, I, I actually missed the joke. When it came to... <laughs> actually, mostly I just wanted it out because you were so stunned. Anyway, anyway. Um, so yeah, let's get on to Rude Dog and the Dweebs. I was trying to set you up in that intro to be like, you know, kind of trap. It. I'm Matsy and I'm a Rude Dog. And yeah. And you're like, oh. oh, so I could say I'm a dweeb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least, tra- <laughs> well, you know, trap you into, oh, shoot. I guess I have to say it. You managed yeah. to evade it. Okay. Go so ahead. Rude, Rude Dog and the Dweebs. Uh-huh. So the, the opening credit sets up the simple premise of this. 
rude dog is uh, a, a cool but rude dog uh, who drives a pink Cadillac convertible and he happens one day to rescue seven dweeby dogs from the dog catcher and has since become sort of a mentor and father figure to them. So the first plot line in the first episode. Oh, by the way, this is uh, the, the rude dog and the dweebs. The actual character designs were created by Brad McMahon. This first episode, Hello, Mr. Kitty, was written by Hank Saroyan. So rude dog fails to sleep late because of the goofiness of his seven dweeb charges. And we're introduced to each dweeb as R.D. asks about their missing member, a tiny chihuahua named Tweak. Turns out Tweak went out to get the morning paper, but he was harassed in a great many ways by the Frank Welkery cat Seymour. <laughs> yeah, you know, Frank Welker's noises. Um, He's so, like the one voice actor who can talk like yeah. this, and so he does it all the time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a few different ones. You know, it's mm. funny. I was looking at the uh, uh, various voice actor roles of Frank Welker. Yep. I had all the ones you know, but also it would just be every incidental dog or cat from yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> from live action movies, too. Of him <laughs> going like, oh, yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Rude Dog, he maintains that dogs should not be afraid of cats. And in order to inspire the dweebs, he takes them to the zoo to show off a wolf cousin. <laughs> Boy, this already calls into question some weird stuff. He's their cousin, but he's just an animal in the zoo. <laughs> Whereas they're kind of, they're essentially just four-legged humans. But anyway, uh, Herman, the dog catcher, and his sidekick, a Rottweiler named Rot, a, another Frank Welker animal. Yeah. Yeah, one of those uh, ones. Anyway, he fo they follow the dogs to catch them at the zoo. Almost the same voice as Brain, I noticed. Yeah. Well, Frank Welker's got, what, four voices, I guess? Yeah. Um, so, after Rude Dog shows the dweebs the wolf, he tries to demonstrate his assertiveness against a cat at the zoo. But he fails to catch the full sign of the animal in the cage. It turns out to be a pole cat, also known as a skunk. <laughs> and the result is that he gets sprayed and stinks. But that turns out to be handy because his stinkiness is what foils Herman's attempt to catch him. So, first off, <laughs> Rude Dog's design is pretty funky. He's got heterochromic eyes. <laughs> one of them is black and one of them is pink. Yeah, like and the whole eyeball, not just the pupils yeah but are, are they like okay so what do you see are the pupils horizontal or are they in fact eyes on eyes like the, i mean like kermit the frog you know what i mean yeah i don't know they're like weird little v shapes consummate yeah. v's and yes i don't know like rude dog is like a sunglasses company mascot or something and so i think mm. it's like because if you look at his ears too they're like Yes. Big, like, if you look at them in three dimensions, they're just, like, straight, like, planks. Uh, they're almost ice cream cones, except they're defined, again, by heterochromic values of having a stripe of pink 
and a stripe of lime green for the other one. Yeah, and so I would say they're not even conical. Like, they look like cutouts of ears. Right. You know, like standing straight up. So I think, you know, it's a um, two-dimensional mascot that they they had to make three-dimensional for this, and it kind of doesn't all the way work, which, you know, based on the webcomic that I used to make, I can empathize with that. Well, you know, I like his design, and I liked it way more as a kid, even. Okay. Like, uh, I'm certain, I remember doing this, that I, I drew him. And then okay. I would take delight in using pencil crayons to make his weird color scheme. Sure. Uh, <laughs> he's got that pink spot on his body. I guess it's kind of like a, a kind of a deeper red spot. It's um, like pink and with stripes on it of some kind. A hatch, yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's also weird. Okay, so the dweebs have weird faces, all of them. <laughs> yes. But both Rude Dog and the dweebs have semi-realistic dog bodies to contrast with those weird heads. <laughs> yeah. And you know what else is Okay, so Rude Dog, he's got, he's got kind of a nicely drawn uh, bull terrier dog kind mm-hmm. of body, right? Yep. Um, what's weird also, he has no shading. And the dweebs all have shading. Hmm. But the shading on the dweebs is so strange that at first I thought some of them might be two-toned. Hmm. Like it doesn't register as shading. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Huh. Yeah. The voices include a pretty impressive checklist. Rude Dog is Rob Paulson. Mm-hmm. And of course, as I mentioned, Frank Welker is everybody. Uh, Peter Cullen is in there. Man, I was, as I was listening to the dog catcher, Herman, yeah. it suddenly clicked who it was. I, it's such a good voice, isn't it? I, yeah. And I, I, well, I mean, I was like, poor Peter Cullen being really? in this. Like, oh man. Cause you know, like he's Optimus Prime and to a lesser he, extent, he's Monterey Jack. You know what though? Like he gets the kudos for being Optimus Prime. You know, one of the greatest cartoon characters of all time, arguably. Sort of. Um, I think so. I think so. You know what's weird? Like, I remember I hadn't watched Transformers, the original Transformers, in a long time. And then I watched, you know, an episode came on and I watched it. And it suddenly struck me for the first time that he was really just doing John Wayne. He's talked about this a lot over the years. Yeah. That who he's actually imitating is his brother. Oh. But but yeah, there's there's notes of John Wayne, but he's a great character because he's like... He's a warrior and a diplomat. He's soft-hearted, but he's also badass, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And, but, but, I like this sort of hard-luck, snivelly bad guy voice that is not just for Herman the dog catcher, but, like, he's been several guys on DuckTales. Mm. Right, he was a bank job beagle, and I would bet he's also Pete in those few uh, appearances he makes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I really like it. Oh, also on the list of famous voice actors is Dave Coulier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised to see that. I was he, sort well, of surprised. He's the uncle in uh, Full House that does cartoon voices. Yeah, he's a few voices, or at least at least one in Muppet Babies, too. Yeah, he's Animal Muppet Babies. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. He's as charming and funny in this as he is in Full House. <laughs> so, yeah okay so <laughs> this first story the hello mr kitty it's weird 
because it sets up Seymour the cat as the antagonist. Mm -hmm. But then he disappears halfway through and it fits in Herman for the rise of action. I think, I think they just wanted to introduce everything in yes. one episode. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, here's the two main villains that these characters will be dealing with over the course of the next few episodes. It's kind of odd, right? The, the yeah. plot of this is weird. Yes. Um, I don't know that anything is really resolved. It's just kind of some stuff that happens. Yeah. Uh, as for the dweebs themselves, I thought about, like, you know, I could outline who all their characters and their traits and whatever, but uh, it's almost pointless. They're all just idiots. <laughs> yeah. And none of them is that fun. No, you know? not really. I mean, they're they're trying to be, but it's like, oh gosh, this one's Jack Nicholson impression is so blatant that it's tiresome. Right, and so there's like a Jack Nicholson one, and there's, you know... A, it seems a, like there's at I, least three characters in this show that have like southern like cowboy style accents well there's the yokel dog you know what's funny too is mm. as, as, as looking them up right and then the breed of dog they are is very difficult to match mm-hmm. yep like not just because they're weird colors but so i would actually like have to refigure out when i would listen for their name in the show and then attach like oh that one's a great dane huh <laughs> and that one's a beagle the green one's a beagle. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's wait. Wait, the big green one? Yeah, that one's a beagle. That's not a Great Dane? Satch? No. No, no, the Great what? Dane is... Yeah. Like, like, maybe I will list them out here. Well, no. So, it's, it's pointless. They're all, they're all idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One's a Long Island gal idiot, and one's a Jack Nicholson idiot, and one's an austere British idiot. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I, I think I can get onto the, the, the plot of the second one here. Sure. Go ahead. The second one is called the fish who went moo. Once again, rude dog is trying to catch some Z's when the dweebs awake him and approach to ask f for permission to keep a pet. Uh, the dweebs do a slipshod job of cleaning the garage in order to prove their worthiness of having a pet. With the understanding that they can get a goldfish, the Great Dane Barney. Did you know he was the Great Dane? I never would have guessed that. That's yep. crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's charged with getting it, but he ends up bringing home a cow instead. The Frank Welker cow doesn't move properly, uh, which is understood to be the reason why the farmer got rid of her. <laughs> so <laughs> the way he describes it, uh, this Great Dane is that he went to get a goldfish, but at the same time, the farmer was returning his cow to the pet store. <laughs> so that's how that all worked. So, yeah. So the farmer <laughs> yeah. bought a cow from a pet store, but yes. the main reason for having a cow evidently is to have it moo. And so the cow was not, did not meet his standards, did not meet his needs. Maybe he's just very fussy. Like, it produced milk, but it was making those noises, and he thought, I can't. I can't. <laughs> can't milk this thing if it's just going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, despite the dweeb's attempt to fool Rude Dog into thinking the fish was a cow, or, or vice versa, the cow was a fish, <laughs> yeah. uh, the boss dog sees through it 
and he takes the dweebs and the cow back to the farm. Once there, the farmer tells them that the cow, named Cleveland, slept, drank, and fed at various places in the farm and got confused over what noise to make because she was always in proximity of other animals. Uh, Root Dog hatches a plot. They rename the cow Bessie and they give her a makeover to have a folksy hat and a cowbell. And when she sees that, uh, she immediately figures out how to moo. The farmer takes the cow back. But in the meanwhile, Barney has taken on the habits of a chicken. There we are. Um, yeah, you, once again, so Rude Dog owns a auto body shop, I guess, is what he works at, right? It's a, I he, guess, he's, sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a garage, a mechanic, right? Yeah. Um, and he and the dogs in this episode confirm that they are speaking English because the farmer talks with them. Yeah, and Herman uh, um, heard what Rude Dog said in the first episode as well. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and so that further muddles things up because, like, a dog catcher is after them. Is this dog catcher acting outside the law? Yeah, because, like, Wait. it's kind of a mix. I, it's something that I noticed as I was watching this dog catcher, and then there was yeah. a group shot of the dweebs. And I was like, there's, like, at least half of them have collars. Yeah, not only that, but Rude Dog probably has a driver's license. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. He's probably a licensed mechanic. <laughs> I like to think at some point he'd be like, uh, hey, show some respect to a former U.S. Marine. Or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I could imagine him like showing off that he has a dog license and so just assumes that that means he gets to do everything. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe Seymour has, like, a job, Seymour the cat, <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> um, I just realized Seymour only has one eye. Seymour. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was one of the characters designed by, who was that, Brad McMahon. Hmm. Oh, one of the funny things I noted in this in the credits, that Hello, Mr. Kitty, that first episode written by Hank Saroyan. Yeah. He's also one of the voices of the dweebs. <laughs> He's also the producer of the show, and he also made the theme song. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like the, the, the mega rude dog force. And you know, pretty cool theme song. Uh, All right. <laughs> especially when you listen to the end. However, if you, at the beginning, you'll get it with rude dog's rap, <laughs> which I know that you probably were pretty impressed by. Nah, uh, you know. <laughs> I guess by standards, it's better than the little shop opening. <laughs> I guess I didn't notice it as hard. Or maybe I was already, like, so <laughs> off board with this show that I didn't even bother to make extra note of it. Like, it didn't the, destroy the, your the expectations. Little, the little shop theme was like, oh, wow, this is the 90s thing ever and I'm dying. Right. Whereas, and I guess maybe I just had no expectations going into Rudolph and the Dweeb, so I was just like, all right. It's actually not that bad. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, so Rudolph was a mask. This is, this is, if we're ask, why does this exist? This is why it exists. Yeah. He was a mascot created for a line of surf and skateboard themed clothing mm. for a company called Sun Sportswear. Yeah. And, you know, I think a pretty good design. Uh, 
I guess this show skews toward little, little kids, I would think. You'd think? Yeah. So I don't know how many clothes this sold. Well, there's only six episodes, so I imagine not much. Yeah, but this thing had an incredible distribution, like all around the world, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I like the show, and I like Root Dog. I looked forward to it. I remember looking forward to it on Saturday mornings. (laughs) If I had seen the clothing, I probably would have gotten some, maybe. (laughs) Um, Like, Root Dog was really cool to me, because he was this wise acre, and he broke the fourth wall to you, the viewer. So he included you. You also were a smooth operator who was smarter than all the rest of the world. <laughs> Seriously, like I no. thought this guy was cool. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. I mean, my memory of it was like, I never, I don't remember watching the show, but yeah. I remember just seeing it in the, you know, the Archie comics thing. Here's our Saturday morning lineup. Uh, and, you yeah. know, there's things where it's like, okay, I can understand why this show exists. You know, it's based on a property. I can understand, I you know, I I guess John Candy is a celebrity. I see why they would make a show about him <laughs> having a camp. But then there's this, like this, we, I wasn't familiar with the clothing line. So it's just this weird looking dog who yeah. apparently associates with dweebs. <laughs> and I was like, I what, why... Would I watch that? What is that? Why does this exist? I thought he was just like a rival brand to Spuds McKenzie. <laughs> you know, his his cool factor, like right from his sunglasses to his pink Cadillac convertible. I'm thinking that he was committee coolness by committee before Poochie was ever added to Itchy and Scratchy. <laughs> Boy, I thought about Poochie. Yes. When I was watching this. <laughs> he needs he needs a skosh more rasta. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, the word dweeb gets said so much in this show that it like it loses whatever meaning it had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's fun to revisit, but I think the show is honestly pretty boring. <laughs> yes, yeah. But you know, for, for one episode commitment and for us to discuss its weirdness, I think not bad for the time, you know, for, for the times that your various YouTube channels have referenced it and yes. for the number <laughs> of times that it has come into my mind. Cause when you said, so when you said, um, why does this exist? I don't know if this was the first thing that came to my mind. It's either this mm. or something else. Um, but the something else I decided wasn't, probably appropriate for this show Hmm. so then uh and i i tried looking for other things but i just kept coming back to this i almost did cap camp camp candy (laughs) i just kept coming back to this show right and i finally was like you know what i i can't get it out of my mind i've got to do it and it turned out that you know (laughs) it was in your mind too apparently based on the end of last episode (laughs) (laughs) I think there's all we've said all there is to say about Rude Dog and the Dweebs. Yeah, probably um, more than needs to be said about Rude Dog yeah. and the Dweebs. How about we get to my uh, show that beat out Camp Candy? <laughs> <laughs> wow, Camp Candy—a distant second for both of us. 
<laughs> yes. If, if, if this were a uh, placement election, it might have it might have become prime minister on second place votes. <laughs> uh, well, it was third in mind. There was another. But oh, okay. Gee, maybe we're just setting ourselves up to do a Camp Candy special two two weeks from <laughs> <Yes>. now. <laughs> Anyway, we're not talking about Cap Cat. It's Alf. Alf. It's Alf Tales. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is a this is like a third level Alf show. Alf, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't remember, until he came back, you know, no, there's that word again. <laughs> what are you saying? That Alf is Pog. He's back in Pog <laughs> form. <laughs> Uh, it's a Simpsons. Well, my, my mission is complete now. All right, great. On. Yeah, so Alf is back in pog form here. Um, so Alf. Alf was created by this guy, Paul... F- oh, man, why did I lose his name? Paul Fuco or something like that. Isn't it Fucus? Fucus? Okay, sure. F- F- Fusco? Fusco. Fusco. Mm. Fusco. It's, I think it is Paul Fusco. Um, I have a thing open up here. Yeah, Fusco. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so um, Alf was basically a Muppet created by this Paul Fusco, who managed to parlay it into a sitcom about an alien life form living with an average American family. And it was kind of a pop culture sensation, enough that it expanded into a TV show, or a <laughs> it was already a TV show, a cartoon show called Alf mm. the Animated Series, and then that spun out into this. Alf Tales. The Naturally. Cons- yeah. Um, by the way, Alf is not this character's name. Hmm. It's, just, it's like E.T., like alien life form. His name is Gordon Shumway. Hmm. But the family that he lived with just decided, oh, he's, his name is Alf. And he just went with it. <laughs> Which, I guess. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so the idea is that he's from a planet... Uh, called Melmac. Melmac. Yes. He's from the planet Melmac. My understanding is that the sitcom sets up that the planet was destroyed by nuclear war because Mm. this show was at the very, very, very end of the Cold War. So, you know, that's what you're talking about in America, I guess. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the cartoons are both prequels to that set on Melmac. They sometimes still call him Alf, even though his name is... Gordon Shumway. And they call him, mostly they call him Gordon, hmm. which is proper because that's his yes. friggin' name. Right. Uh, this is a spinoff version where it's various fairy tales retold with Gordon in whatever title role is involved, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And... What immediately stood out for me when I went to look at this episode, which was uh, John Henry, yes, was looking down the list of all the episodes and seeing, oh, wait a minute, they're all, like, well-known fairy tales. Except this. Except <laughs> this, which is, John Henry is kind of a folk hero story in America. He was a dude who, his job was to uh, pound holes into rock for dynamite so it could be blasted to make railway tunnels. Mm. And the story is that if you watch cartoons, you kind of know 
this story, but maybe you don't know where it originated. The idea was that there was a fancy steam-powered machine that could supposedly do it faster than a man, and so there was a competition between John Henry and the machine to see who could, you know, do the most holes in a certain amount of time. And apparently John Henry won, but died shortly after. And there's conflicting, you know, the the folk songs say that he died of, you know, from the effort of doing it, like heart attack or something like that. There's right. medical evidence that the actual John Henry died of something else sometime later. It, whatever. This mm. is the important thing. He There was a machine that was to supposedly do his job better. There was a contest and he won it. It's just like a tale about... Uh, human perseverance, you know, or stubbornness. Yeah, man over that, yeah. machine or whatever, you know. Yeah. Modern fans might immediately think about the episode of My Little Pony with the Flim Flam Brothers, who had a machine that could make apple cider faster than the Apple family could. Right. <laughs> um, so... You could hardly tell that this story was based on John Henry. Boy, <laughs> I actually went back and looked like, let me see the details of the John Henry story. And it wasn't until I got to that contest. It's pretty like, much just a song, right? Basically. Yeah. And I, I was like, I, cause I didn't know the details of the John Henry story. Yeah. And I watched this and I was, it was incomprehensible to me. And I had to go, wait a minute. What is the story of John Henry that this is trying to emulate? And boy, does it not. Mm -hmm. Um, so this episode starts with Gordon introducing the concept for the episode alongside a Bob Dylan parody Melmachian. So they're going to tell the tale of John Henry, but updated where John played by Gordon is a world famous chef. And just saying that after explaining what John Henry was is ridiculous. A TV chef. He has a TV (laughs) show. He has a huge fan base. He's, he's got cookbooks and food with his name on it and all this stuff. He's best known for the trademark of carving a flower out of a tomato to garnish his food. And one night he comes home to find his wife question mark. Yeah. It's it's Rhonda from the ALF animated series, but here looks kind of interesting with her Victorian colonial updo. Yeah. Voiced by Tabitha St. Germain. A.K.A. Mm. Rarity in My Little Pony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And she's complaining about the tedium of slicing and dicing by hand, but John insists that this this artistry and pride in your work and ingredients is what separates us from the animals. And around this time, his manager informs him that the president has announced the annual governor's banquet, which John is always the chef for, although he hasn't officially announced the chef this year. Mm. Meanwhile... A sinister scientist named Art Cuisine, get it? Yeah. Uh, who is played by the villain uh, Larson Petty from the... He's got the same vill- name convention. Yeah, 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 names. yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He's, the, yeah. he's the main villain from the main ALF cartoon. Yeah. Um, in this, he's an old rival of John's from cooking school who flunked out. And he's developed a new device called the K-Art Chopper which can turn any inserted ingredients into a six-course meal in a tray, kind of like a TV dinner. Mm. His sidekick, Ethan, questions what the food is made of and how it'll taste, but Cuisine is dismissive of his concerns and strangely evasive on whether his true goal is to take over the world. An advertising campaign kicks off, glamorizing the ease with which the K-Art Chopper can prepare meals, and the machine's a smashing success, and soon every household owns one. Can I, 
this this TV ad was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like they have like a they have a family, right? And their dialogue, I got sandwiches. Like, okay, sandwiches again. Sorry, honey. I've just had it with making meals. I want more out of life. What can I do about it? I'm just a regular person. <laughs> and later on, this, I'm sure as a kid, I, I did this all the time. Uh, uh, art Cuisine appears on the screen at the end of the commercial with a coin that he's using to hypnotize you, <laughs> saying, buy my machine, buy my machine. <laughs> I did that as a kid all the time. Like, not to anybody, just to myself. Like, oh, Alf tells us coming on, buy my machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've just found the world's biggest Alf Tales fan. <laughs> oh boy i will say there's actually some respectable gags in this cartoon yeah um do you you remember the other cartoon very well at all too really vaguely like i almost think that i'm confusing it with a different cartoon because i kind of remember there being is there this has to be a different thing where like i remember some like kid versions and I sort of feel like mm. like the the main character of whatever I'm thinking of wasn't actually like you know it was the main character of the property it was based on, but not the main character of the show, whereas mm. the kids were. And I don't know if it's this or some different cartoon based on something I think else. Something else. Yeah, I I'd, yeah. I'd be interested to go back and see if I can figure out what it is. Well, anyway, let's let's get to the plot and then and then we'll yeah yeah yeah. Um, so so following the press conference. Cuisine reveals to us, the viewers, that his goal actually is world conquest. And by pressing a button, he can turn the K-Art Chopper into a sinister robot. So, as I said, every household owns one of these. Everybody's enamored with it. John Henry's show is losing its ratings. And Hmm. his manager suggests following this new trend of lowering the quality of ingredients and going for, like, you know, artificial chemicals and stuff. And an enraged John Henry challenges Art Cuisine and his machine to a televised cook-off. And for some foolish reason, the goal of the contest is quantity over quality? Because the goal is to make as many six-course meals as possible within 30 minutes. And John spends all that time making one wonderful meal while the K-Art Chopper just produces an outrageous mountain of food trays. <laughs> and so this victory lands Art Cuisine the job of head chef for the governor's banquet. John is now a broken man or Mel Mackin or whatever. And his show is canceled. It seems like the end of his career. But... At the banquet, the president is dismayed that his meal doesn't include a tomato flower. So John Henry is sent for because he's the only one who can create such a thing. And outraged at being upstaged, Art Cuisine puts his true plan into action, activating all the K-Art choppers. All of this set up so that Ethan can say the line, Attention K-Art choppers. Zinga! Boom! Who goes the dynamite? <laughs> As a kid, I thought that was pretty genius, though. Um, he, he, <laughs> he tries to blackmail the president in, into turning control of the country over to him. And John Henry fights back and destroys the main robot by feeding it its own remote control, which either destroying the control or the robot 
causes all of the other K-Art shoppers to shut down. So the president gives John Henry a medal and he gives him the job as the official White House chef. His manager tells him his show is back on the air in prime time. And that's pretty much the end. Do you know the uh, president and his family actually have to buy their meals at the White House? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. Like, there's, yeah. you know, I, I remember uh, reading once that when he was elected president, the first president, George Washington, didn't want to be paid. Mm. He didn't want a salary. And he was convinced to accept a salary because they didn't want to set the precedent that only the extremely well-off could become president. So right. That, or, that, or that you could be influenced by money. Yeah. So that worked out a treat. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, another funny gag here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the secret serviceman who goes into the kitchen and gets attacked by the converted K-Art chopper. Yeah. <laughs> I like when they discover him later <laughs> and his body is all mangled into a TV dinner tray. Yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> he gets asked, uh, how do you feel? Uh, I feel like a little dinner. Yeah. There's, like I said, there's actually some good gags in this oh yeah definitely i was i was really impressed like i don't think the voice acting is very good generally speaking um however that doesn't mean that the gags aren't good some of them like i made a note early of a missed opportunity of um art cuisine throws a sheet from his device and it lands over ethan's head and he's like what do you see ethan and i feel like they missed an opportunity for him to say like well i don't see anything because he takes the sheet off and says, like, I see a sheet laying on the ground. Like, ah. that is a gag, but... But at the same... Like, yeah. I, I don't know that I can think of... Th- I think there were so many of them that I didn't yeah. write them down. Because... You know, mm, you know, I think one thing... This show looks good. Like, the animation yes! is pretty good. And it's the same thing with the other series, too. Yeah, uh, like, it's made by Deke. Yeah. And yeah, I noticed that, too. I was like, this is actually pretty proficient the only thing is they don't seem to know how to animate melmachian faces to show emotion which might come from the fact that alf is a puppet well they're they're really challenging designs yeah 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 uh like there's not (laughs) there's so many lines and wrinkles and stuff on that face Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i'll say for me the one thing that's kind of missing and i think this is the gap between being a North American director who has to work with an overseas unit mm-hmm. that's doing the animation is that some of the timing could be better. Yes. Um, but there's, there's stuff in this that's really funny. Like <laughs> I like the end of that competition when, when Ethan is crushed and he's just like trembling as he drops his uh, tomato rose. Oh, you mean John Henry, <laughs> John Henry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. John Henry. When John Henry does that, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like trembling and falling over the table. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. I think the only reason that you can understand that this show exists is because Alf was a merchandise, a cash cow at this time. So mm. there's your reason for this existing. But you take that away and the idea of telling fairy tales with the main characters replaced by Alf yeah. is ridiculous. And in that context, having this one that isn't a fairy tale, isn't it? It doesn't fit 
it's why does this exist on two different levels? Yeah, exactly. But that's not to say that the show is necessarily a low quality. No. It's dumb, yes. but, it's, <laughs> but it's animated pretty well. The story is not great, but it's, it's animated well. It has some decent gags. It, um, the voice acting kind of falls flat. I think it's largely the timing that you were mentioning there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, it's unbelievable that this exists. But at the same time, it's not actually bad. No, no, no. That's never a criteria. Like, yeah, if yeah. we ever do this no, no, again, yeah. it's not, it's not, they don't necessarily have to be bad. Yeah, and I get they that. They just have to be, like, you know, It's incredulous. Baffling. Yeah, it, like, yeah. I mean, incredulous that this exists. Um, but at the same time, like, for what it is, it's executed well. You know, there's a weird hierarchy for me. So, back in the day, when ALF came out, you know, obviously I'm a little kid and I want to see this TV show with the puppet guy, right? Right. Terrible show. <laughs> It is awful. It is dismal. What was it that you were talking about? It was a show I gave you way back where you said that the laugh track wasn't even invested in it. Oh, uh, the ant and the aardvark. Right. So like that TV show, I don't know if they had a real studio audience, but like even they weren't sold on it. Hmm. It was just awful. (laughs) But then the cartoon was witty as heck. (laughs) So, yeah, I loved the cartoon. And then they came out with Alf Tales, which this is weird, but the the regular cartoon was getting kind of stale. <laughs> it shouldn't because you get to explore a whole other world and have like Flintstone style gags. Like, what is this on Melmac? You know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Alf Tales that you see a whole new premise with that, you know, that that uh, clever uh wisecracker Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was the part that I looked forward to most. So it was kind of like in reverse order of why does this exist? Alf Tales is what I enjoyed most and then Alf and then not at all the the television show. Oh, so you mean yeah, Alf the animated Alf. series? Alf the animated series, yes. And then yes, and then Alf and the, yeah, Alf yes, proper yes. is at the bottom. Right, right. And you know, you know, like I like this as a kid and here's a common thing here. Gordon Shumway and Rude Dog are pretty similar characters when you get right down to it. I guess. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both smarter than the world they live in. <laughs> and they frequently talk to you, the viewer, to let you know that you are too. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Now, this, this particular one, as a kid, I thought, like, I had to look up who, also who uh, John Henry was. Yeah, sure. We are Canadian, and John Henry isn't steeped in yeah. Canadian culture. Probably not American either. I mean, <laughs> but, and I thought like, oh, that's a genius subversion. You know, <laughs> this, this, this show is chef's kiss. I, I, although as I look back now, like, I think I, I remember other episodes and I think probably they're better. Mm. Like I think the Robin Hood one is better and the Sleeping Beauty. I at least can remember really funny gags from them. Okay. I believe it too. Because like I said, like I could see the hints in here of like, and I wish I could remember specific, specific examples, but like I, there was more than once that I thought, you know, this, this, the, the, the one liners in this are right. better than this plot deserves. <laughs> I think the plot is fine. If the, if the point was okay. to just satirize, you know, a premise, pretty good, yeah. you know? I, I don't know if you have any more to say to that. Like, yeah. He, 
you you clued into my long setup for an Alpha's back and pog form joke, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's go. We're we're done with this. Um, <laughs> so that's why those exist. Uh, merchandising. It was 1989. Um, but now let's talk about next week. So if you've been watching the news, you probably haven't seen because you probably aren't here. But there is record heat right now in British Columbia. Um, we have There's a place in British Columbia that had just set a new record for the hottest temperature ever recorded in Canada. It's been the hottest yesterday... The last two days were the hottest days that I can remember in a, my existence. It was painful. And so let's let's do some winter cartoons. Right. We're going to do winter, Christmas, something something cold. Oh, my gosh. For Christmas in July. Yeah, Christmas in July. So uh, w- Christmas special, winter episode, something like that. What I have for you is something that holds a weird special place in my heart a christmas special entitled a wish for wings that work oh this thing yeah okay well that'd be interesting um i have a truly obscure thing for you okay it's a special called 12 months 12 months yeah it's obscure enough that your google of this will have some difficulty, probably. All right. Okay. 12 months. Hmm. So next week, he'll be watching A Wish for Wings That Work, and I'll be watching 12 months. Until then, we would love to hear what you think of this show and what you want us to watch. We would take suggestions. That might be a fun episode, even. Just, mm-hmm. you know, your your coworker can get his cooks in again um straight from the stalkers that's right uh but yeah if you want to get to us you can find me at ac matzy on twitter and me you can find me at drab swatch on twitter and now in accordance with the prophet l ron hubbard free yourself of your body thetans by reciting the celery stalkers slogan some serve their country on the battlefield others serve on the senate floor I serve on plates.